1: up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up rise up when death and hell dwell among all God's people when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing rise up when famine claims millions when justice gives blind eyes to billions when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the Seas spill over, and the mountains shake, break, and fall. If the moon ever turns blood red, and you can't see the sun at all,
2: rise up, no matter if- Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Deeper Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and, despise, and agitate and on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Lemitism. Hosted if by social activist and spoken word poet Max Barthas, the Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is our March 7th, 2018 broadcast in our sixth season. On and and near this day in history, on March 6th of 1857, the United States Supreme Court, led by Chief Justice Roger B. Taney, declared that all blacks, slaves as well as free, were not and could never become citizens of the United States. The court also declared that the 1820 Missouri Compromise was unconstitutional, thus permitting slavery in all of the country's territories. Taney, a staunch supporter of slavery and intent on protecting Southerners from northern abolitionism, wrote in the court's majority opinion that because Scott was black, he was not a citizen and therefore had no right to sue. The framers of the Constitution, he wrote, believed that blacks had no rights which white men were bound to respect and that the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his own benefit. He was bought and sold and treated as an ordinary article of merchandise and traffic, whenever profit could be made by it. Also, Harriet Tubman died on March 10, 1913, after suffering from pneumonia. After her death, she was buried in Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn, with military honors. During the fugitive slave laws, the bounty on Harriet Tubman's head was higher than that of John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated President Lincoln. Tonight, we have guests from our comrades at IWOC, the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, which is a project of the industrial workers of the world. Its purpose is to unionize incarcerated individuals. On September 9, 2016, the IWOC helped organize a U.S. prison strike on the 45th anniversary of the Attica Uprising. The strike involved an estimated 24,000 prisoners in 24 states, the largest prison strike in U.S. history, and what some say is the largest slavery rebellion since the Civil War. So in this week's broadcast, we welcome Diana and Jocelyn. Diana was born and raised in the so-called Mex-U.S. borderlands and is committed to pushing anti-colonial work that moves us toward the abolition of all kinds of walls. She also organizes with IWAC NYC, Jocelyn Cohn, I believe I'm pronouncing it correct, if not, she'll let me know, is an organizer with the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee and a holistic health care worker. Now, our abolitionist in profile tonight is Araminta Minty Ross, better known as the one and only Harriet Tubman, born 1820, Dorchester County, Maryland, and joined the ancestors on March 10, 1913 in Auburn, New York. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we remember Gaspar Yanga, the leader of one of the greatest slave rebellions in North America. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Alfred Swinton. On March 1st, 2018, a Connecticut judge dismissed the 1991 murder indictment against him. Swinton is the 30th person to have been wrongfully convicted or indicted based at least in part on bite marks analysis. Yet court's continue to allow the prosecutors to rely on the widely discredited evidence. Swinton, whose 2001 conviction was vacated back in June 2017, wrongfully served 16 years. As usual, we'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to the 13th Amendment slavery from the perspectives of slavery abolitionists. So let's get started. Got a question or comment? You can call in at 704 802 5026 you can chat with us and others by logging in at Uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parkers. What's happening, Scotty?
0: Hey, doing the best I can, Max. Um, I don't have any complaints. Hey, Scotty,
2: I don't know if you can hear me or not, but I, I gotta go answer the door. Somebody's on my door.
0: So Yeah, cover. I can hear you. Um but yeah, um, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Um, I also would like to take this opportunity because it's not one of our segments or a story, but I want to take this opportunity to make a, a appeal to the abolitionist community out there to take advantage of this March Madness, this NCAA Tournament of Slaves that will be uh, going on uh, this month, um, in Charlotte, I know they will have some games. All right, right I'm back. Yeah. Scotty? Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm here, Matt.
2: He's calling for him too. Scotty Reed?
0: Okay, I'm sorry. I had myself <laughs> muted in the conference <laughs> line, so let me just start over. Those listening on the stream were able to hear me. I apologize uh, for that oversight. But what I was saying was i like to take this opportunity to appeal to abolitionists in the United States to use this NCAA Tournament of Slaves. That's their basketball tournament that happens every year in March. Uh, CBS just paid about $8 billion for the licensing rights to broadcast that on on their um, network. And I think it is an opportunity for us to engage in a public awareness campaign by going to these games and... (coughs) Excuse me. And going to these games, I plan to, you know, have me a poster board and whatnot uh, talking about the fact that the NCAA used the 13th Amendment to justify not paying student athletes, basically calling them prison slaves as per the 13th Amendment. Um uh, This article was published a couple of weeks ago in the Intercept. Um, it has been also reported on other outlets, but it's not really getting the attention that it deserves. So what I plan to do is go to Charlotte uh, to the Spectrum Center, stand outside on the sidewalk and greet people as they go to with a sign that says Tournament of Slaves Boycott uh, March Madness. I think this is a, a great opportunity for us to latch upon the the publicity that always surrounds that event and and just raise awareness with the individuals out there. I do plan to of course um record my actions uh outside. I'm, I'm still trying to recruit my daughters to go with me, but if I had to go by myself, I'd go by myself. You know, ain't, ain't no big thing. Um but if you are in a place where they have NCAA tournament games for this basketball tournament I just really, really want to implore you to. I I I don't care if it's just for thirty minutes. You know, I'm not telling you go out there and stand for hours and and whatnot. I know some of our people are are engaged in that type of activity, but I'm just saying. You know, you could be out there for however long, and if you're able, live stream it. Live stream it to Facebook. Live stream it on Periscope through Twitter. Uh, live stream it on. Facebook, I mean, excuse me, YouTube, Uh, live stream what you're doing, your public awareness, and I just feel like if we can get some abolitionists at enough of these games, then we'll attract some media attention. At the very least, we'll educate those who pass us by.
2: Uh, if, May I ask a question about it? So sure. I can figure out how I can help more? Sure. The, the overall goal of the uh, the efforts that you're asking for is not to help the students in any way, but to bring attention to what's happening to the prisoners through the 13th Amendment, which they also are using in their Well, I'm going to say both, Max. I'm going to say both.
0: Um, We know that the UN Declaration of Human Rights makes a distinction and it says that slavery should be abolished in all its forms. So if the NCAA is acknowledging through this lawsuit this motion to dismiss this lawsuit by Lawrence Poppy Libers then I'm going to take them at their word that they practice in slavery and I'm against all forms of slavery I know our focus is mainly on 13th amendment prison slavery but the NCAA is citing the 13th amendment as justification for them to practice slavery against the students so I'm saying I'm doing it for both parties
2: all right, one more question. Have you had or heard any opinions from the students themselves on this issue?
0: No, and I don't expect to since most of them are under scholarship and I've heard other people like Jalen Rose, who is a former n c a a uh basketball player him, Chris Weber. Uh, Varon Davis, Amar, Amari Stoudemire, they're former NBA players, but of course they played in college, except for Amar, Amari Stoudemire, he went straight to the pros from, from high school, but they've been speaking out on it, they've been speaking out. Yeah,
2: I've heard a few Yeah, I've heard a few, one brother, I forget his name, Anthony. Anthony something or another, was the first person to explain it to To me, via video, that it was modern day slavery from their perspective in the way that they were doing it. And
0: I didn't know, Bill. I did not know that Bill Russell, who is an NBA legend and college legend, also back in the 60s or early 70s called it slavery and called it a plantation. Said the NCAA is a plantation. But Jalen Rose said that the players should boycott the games. And whatnot. I'm not gonna put that on them players. That's on. That's up to them as individuals and families. I'm not in that position to make a decision for them. Okay, and I totally understand it. You know, because look at all the rest of us. I'm not making excuses for them. But these are children. Okay, these are children, and I don't even know if they even know about the story. You know. So, but I don't. I don't agree with Jalen Rose that it should all be on the students this is a a society wide this involves this entire society and i think the onus should be on us the adults to take the lead
2: okay okay and as i said i've heard other athletes make the same comparisons i know i've also heard your opinion on a number of occasions where you kind of uh disputed that idea uh, and so that was before i, I, can't I became quote you aware exactly but i remember you saying it's hard to compare these people with millions and millions of dollars in income to slaves. no that's I tried pro very players. hard to even get that comparison in my head and couldn't do it. The best I could come up with was what they were doing in like New Orleans uh, where they were breeding and training women to be prostitutes. And they were the highest caliber, of course. And they made the most money, uh, equivalent of millions of dollars. But they were prostitutes. College students
0: are, do not get paid. Pro well, players I'm do. I'm
2: talking about the main guys now like the uh the the main players
0: no no college no student athlete is getting paid if they are getting paid it's under the table and and, or perks but none of them are getting paid and they should be paid considering the billions of dollars that they bringing in annually they should be paid they should be like livers argues in this lawsuit at least considered work paid as work study students, given how much time they spend in that gym, in that film room, and on that field or that court. So I have in the past resisted comparisons of athletes to slaves, okay? Because they they have multi million multimillion dollar contracts and they can walk away from them at any time, all right? And, right. and they don't consider themselves to be slaves. But student athletes is a, is a whole another ball game. This is exploitation
2: of of human labor, and it is labor. And the shame of it all is that they're actually quoting the Thirteenth Amendment. As and it's their not reasoning the first time Max. to do this.
0: This isn't the first lawsuit they have responded with the Thirteenth Amendment. And I thank Sean King for bringing that. To my attention by putting that in his article. This isn't the first time that they have used the Thirteenth Amendment to defend themselves against lawsuits by student athletes or former student athletes.
2: Yeah, well, I'm with you, Scotty. Whatever you needed me to do, just let me know. I've already been sharing the information uh, throughout my networks and uh, whatever else you need me to do, just holler and let me know. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm in this situation where I don't always need to understand everything that's going on to support the people that's supposed to be supported. You know what I mean? Scotty put in the work to understand what's happening and that means that's that's enough for me right there. I'll learn as I go along.
0: I appreciate that Max.
2: All right. Well we uh have a couple guests coming in from IWAC. Uh IWOC's a is a comrade of ours as an organization. We've helped them not only with the prison labor work strike two thousand and sixteen but also, another of uh, a number of other projects that they have been working on over the years. And we kind of know some of their members pretty damn well. And uh, they are also an abolitionist organization, which is, uh, I'm proud to say, uh, that they are. And their goal is to uh, organize prisoners mm-hmm. who are getting nothing. Like the term or the phrase slave labor comes from having people work for nothing as slaves. And that's exactly what's happening. Within the prisons But they're fighting back And they've achieved some incredible successes Over the years As well as some international notoriety
0: Oh, most certainly We reported on new abolitionists They also, you know Were among the groups that Helped publicize And stood outside of prisons and stuff And had demonstrations On that national prison strike um, That occurred last year So I am... A, a, an admirer of their work
2: yes yes and you know when you hear the phrase like good white people this is a group that has them <laughs> like there are some good white people there for sure and I'm just saying that in a, a humorous sense you know what I mean tongue in cheek um,
0: I, I understand
2: yeah tongue in cheek but definitely there's some good people in there who who know what it means to be uh, to suffer I mean there's some, I'm, I know some of the members personally and they went through some serious hardcore stuff so their opinion, their opinions and perspectives come from firsthand often uh of what they're dealing with. So are are they on already? Should we bring them in now?
0: Um Scotty? no, we're we're still waiting on them to call. I asked them to call in at 20 after. So we still got three minutes to 20 after.
2: Okay. Well, you know, I was mentioning earlier in the intro that today or yesterday was the anniversary of the Dred Scott decision. And you know, over the years, Scotty You and I both have been hearing, and I think you did some research on this, as to whether or not that this uh, Supreme Court ruling was overturned in any way. Uh, Do you have any information on that? I found a little bit of it. Uh, Well, it's like this. All right.
0: That what you was reading during the intro, that is just um, commentary from one judge, one disgusting individual who I hope is burning in hell right now. I mean, truly, truly disgusting for him to say that. And he was incorrect. Okay. Because, you know, um, your wife's ancestor, Paul Coffey was a citizen who paid taxes. I mean, only citizens pay taxes, right? So how were, how were free black people being taxed if they weren't citizens? Okay. So, you know, just cause these people have on these robes or they went to law school or they sit on the bench does not mean they're correct in anything that they say or they do. Okay. Do, do their interpretations of the law carry weight. Of course it carries, it carries weight, but obviously the, the, and this is something you hear from the conscious community. All I shouldn't say all the time, but I have heard from the conscious community. Oh, the white man, Oh uh, there there the black man has no rights that the white man is bound to respect. Citing Dred Dred Scott. Okay. That that was back then. This is a different era. That was before the Civil War even. That that was before Um, the 14th Amendment and all these other amendments, all right? So we have to look at it on the timeline and where it fits in in the timeline, okay? Now, we know that there are federal laws that our ancestors, Dr. King and many, many others, fought for human rights, uh, codified in federal law as civil rights for black people. So if you have federal laws on the books that say that it's illegal it's outlawed, discrimination is outlawed. Doesn't mean that people gonna stop practicing racism and doing and breaking the law. It happens all the time. They break the law. Okay. But in terms of we're gonna talk legalese, if we're gonna talk about what the what the law says today, then we we have to recognize that there are federal laws on the books that outlaw that, okay? And so you can go around And claiming that a white man Don't have to respect your rights I'm going to tell the white man to
2: his face You better respect me or else I have done a little bit of research Scotty on, on the issue And uh this one thing that I have That is unique is the ability To look at the actual Newspaper reports from that day Via the Black Chronicle You know I have this big book I showed you with it all these different headline newspapers of that day from the Black Chronicle. So I actually had that day in front of me. And the number one thing that they talked about was all Negroes are denied citizenship based on that brief. And like you said, people have been saying that that wasn't never overturned. So we're still considered uh, less than human. So I I tried to find out what uh, people are saying in regards to it being overturned. And pretty much the best I can find and was agreed by all of the different sources that I was looking through was this right here. And it's very short. This comes from a certified educator by the name of Brett D. out of Los Angeles. And he says, no Supreme Court case following the 1857 Dred Scott ruling directly overturned the decision of Justice Roger B. Taney's court. However, the 14th Amendment following the Civil War gave equal citizenship to freed slaves following abolition and promised them equal protection under the law. This, the 14th Amendment, directly overturned that part of the ruling which argued that the federal courts had no jurisdiction in the case because Dred Scott was not a citizen of the U.S., but merely the citizen of a state. The 14th redefined citizenship, thus overruling any state laws on citizenship requirements some historians have argued that the slaughterhouse cases reinterpreted the dred scott case by reiterating that the 14th amendment was designed specifically to overturn the 1857 ruling but this was simply emphasizing the earlier amendments meaning and importance so that's about the best i can find right there well everybody's pointing to the 14th amendment saying that did it right
0: yeah that's what i mentioned did i did i not mention the 14th amendment
2: I'm in agreement with you. I was just reading. Yeah, what I, and, and, I and Max,
0: called. another thing you brought up, another misconception, and I blame this on reading comprehension, and people actually not doing any research, but just repeating stuff they heard other people say, but the Constitution, um, I forget the name of the um compromise. It was called, I think I, it was a compromise. I can't remember the name of the compromise, but- Missouri? No, it wasn't Missouri Compromise. The Constitution never said that black people were only three-fifths human. I mean, come on. These slavers denied the humanity of black people, period. So they wasn't going to even recognize them as three-fifths human. That didn't have nothing to do with it. What it had to do with was the census. The census, okay? Do people know what the census is? The census is when they count the population... Of the United States, and then they apportion the number of representatives that state will have to Congress, as well as the number of senators. the sl- the The slave states wanted their victims of slavery to be fully counted. They didn't want they they victims to be counted as only three fifths. They wanted them to be counted as a whole person because that would give the Southern states an advantage because that's where the enslaved population was concentrated, was in the South. So if you count all of the victims of slavery, then that's going to give the South uh, unfair advantage in the number of people they have in Congress. And the free states, so-called free states and Northern states still practicing racism, but the Northern states, hey, no. Them people ain't they? Ain't, y'all trying to have it both ways. They ain't citizens. They not even citizens. So how you gonna count them? They not these these elected representatives are not gonna be representing the enslaved. So why are you even counting them? So what they came up with, and I remember now, is called the Three Fifths Compromise, where only three fifths, not of an individual, will be counted. Three fifths of the entire uh uh um victim of slavery population in a state. Three out of five. They would only count that that was the compromise. So it's a lot of misinformation out there, man. I blame it on reading comprehension, people not looking up stuff for themselves, and then just repeating what they heard from somebody else, assuming that person knows what they're talking about and actually did the research. Yeah, you know,
2: doing the research... A lot to be said for that. (laughs) You know what I mean? When you just research it for yourself instead of just parroting what people say. So, yeah, man, indeed. Well, recently there's been a lot of comparisons to uh, the fugitive slave laws with the immigration crisis that we're dealing with. And uh, as you know, last year I was invited by Our Revolution to come and uh, do a, a workshop on the connection, the direct connection of modern day slavery and the immigration system and how it was working. So, man, I went through like weeks of research and and found all kinds of amazing things, which I'll put on New Abolitionist Radio. But uh, I've got an article now that just came out recently that talks about that in particular. I haven't actually read the article, so You know, I've only uh, been—I meant to read it, but I've been so busy today getting everything together, I haven't actually read it. So, me reading it tonight will be the first time we can hear it together.
0: All right. Yeah, please, Max. And and while you're doing that, I'm actually uh, calling our guests. Maybe there was some mix-up and they thought I was going to call them, so I'll go ahead and call them while you uh, go into that.
2: Great. Well, this comes from the L.A. Times, and it's March 1st, 2018. The title says, There are echoes of the fugitive slave law in today's immigration debate. Last week, Libby Schaff, mayor of Oakland, took the logic of so-called sanctuary cities and states one step further by warning the Immigration and Customs Enforcement had planned a raid on immigrants in the country illegally Over the weekend, roughly 150 immigrants were apprehended in Northern California. Predictably, the backlash from Trump supporters, immigrant haters, and ICE authorities has been intense. Was Schaaf impeding uh, law enforcement? What was she thinking? It was probably a good deal, like what the leaders of the pre-Civil War northern cities and states were thinking when they resisted the federal government's efforts to enforce the Fugitive Slave Act, which a Southern-dominated Congress had enacted in 1850. In case you don't remember your U.S. history, an 1842 ruling, court ruling absolved states of any duty to cooperate in the recapture of former slaves who freed themselves by fleeing to the North. Hey, it Max, was- I'm sorry to
0: in- interrupt you, yes. but I do believe we have our guests on the line, and their time is uh, limited um, so I just want to check. Do we have our uh, our guest on the line? I see someone, um, uh, unknown caller, has unmuted themselves. We're looking for Deanna and Jocelyn to call in. If you are on the line, hit star, star to unmute yourself. But do we have either of you on the line? Hi,
3: this is Jocelyn. I'm here. Thanks so much for having us. Hey,
2: Jocelyn. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio for you and Diana.
0: Yeah, we're still waiting on uh, Diana uh, to call, but we'll go ahead and get started. You know, something could have could have happened. We hope that she's safe and sound behind these enemy lines. But um, let me just briefly. Hi, uh,
4: I'm
0: here. Oh, okay. Th- Hi, Diana. Thank you for joining us tonight.
4: Okay. Thank so. Thanks and- for having
0: me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so the, this is what we'll uh, what they will be sharing with us tonight. Um, there's a lot of activity that has been going on concerning political prisoners um, as well as Momea. Uh, we got a couple of fundraisers that are happening. Um, also, uh, some other information they would like to share and information on Dr. Stewart Stewart who is a a current victim of modern day slavery and human trafficking through the prison system. So ladies, I wanna turn it over uh, to you, whoever would like to start.
3: Um, Deanna, do you wanna maybe start by talking about our Welcome Home fundraiser? Sure,
4: Um, so, Many of you might know already that I is uh really committed to pushing uh inside organizing and like really having looking at inside folks to lead and support organizing work that happens that often doesn't get you know any support like we are planning to to host a welcome home and fundraiser for our, our activity. So this welcome home will be scheduled in April and it really to greet and integrate and provide after release support for some of our comrades. Some who are have been part of walk for a while and some who have been uh, part of walk after the Bronx 120 rate. So um, so we're really looking forward to having um, people support and come through to be able to to show these folks that we need to build continuous, continuing um, resistance on the outside, especially those folks who ha- know what it's like to be to be part of, of of that captivity by the state, to know that that effort, you know, those people on the outside that. We need to continue that still when they come out. Um, and how do we support the people who are still behind captivity? So we're hoping this to happen in mid to late uh, April, so next month.
0: And will it be online based? And what what's some of the details uh, going on with this fundraiser?
4: Well, it will be uh, it will be on in the Bronx. So we're hoping to host it in the Bronx physically, uh, an event. And we will have that information up online on our Facebook and our Instagram. Um, We don't have a date yet, but that is to come, and we'll be having some of our comrades and folks who have been released uh, joining us. So we want to make sure we show them that, you know, that we are here to build this family of resistance post released and that we need to continue to support folks on the inside and you know and get you know we're not a non-profit so you know we we this comes out of like volunteer efforts and efforts and and out of really like spare money that we all individual put together to be able to support the work that we need to get done postage you know You know, printing, all those things. Um, So it'll
0: be in the Bronx, hopefully. All right. Just keep us abreast. And uh, when it comes closer uh, to that date, we hope to have you back so that we can remind people and give them those details. Um, So, what's going on with the Mamiya watercolor auction I'm hearing about? Yeah. So, um, last
3: fall, Mumia abu who I'm sure um, many, if not all of your listeners know, is a real warrior on the inside, has been for um, decades now, and is himself uh, the victim of really extreme repression. And in the face of it, he just published a book that hopefully many people have read or are reading, a Black Lives That Ever Mattered. Um, so it was a real honor when he said that he wanted to um, contribute a painting that he made About modern-day prison slavery, specifically as a fundraiser for people who have been affected by these uh, so-called gang raids. So, I walk works with um, many people who have been incarcerated under these gang raids, which are really a way for modern-day slave catchers to go out into black communities and take young people away, charge them with offenses that they haven't even committed and then force them to plead down to something that they also didn't commit just to, just to avoid just to get rid of them from the community yeah. exactly and it, it causes obviously um, even a, a year in federal prison causes an enormous amount of stress and poverty for people's families and we've been supporting folks while they're inside and also their families and again Mumia um, contributed a really amazing watercolor it's the largest watercolor he's ever made um, it's eight and a half by eleven And um, it depicts um, people enslaved in chattel slavery. And it's it's two panels, and that panel says then. And uh, the other side of the panel is people um, walking next to um, a prison facility also in chains. And it says now. So he's really visually making the um, proclamation that, that prison is a... Modern Day Manifestation of Slavery. And we right now have an online auction, and that auction website is 32auctions.com slash here now. And if you go to 32auctions.com and search for Mumia Abu-Jamal, you will also find um, the painting there. Or even if you Google auction Mumia Abu-Jamal, you should be able to find it. Or if you go to our uh, Facebook or Instagram, and we're hoping to raise a significant amount of money since this is really a one-of-a-kind painting, um, and it was such an incredibly generous contribution from Lumia. I know that he's also done some short um, radio interviews about uh, for his podcast about um, the gang rape issue, and it's something very close to his heart, and uh, anyone who owns this painting would be oh, my God, like the luckiest person in the world and also be really, really directly helping out families. There's no, as Deanna said, we're not a nonprofit. There's no overhead. There's no middle people. Um, the money will go directly to direct, uh, directly affected families.
0: You know, I was thinking the same thing. You know, Momia's world famous, world famous revolutionary, mm-hmm. a living legend. So I imagine there are a lot of people out there listening right now that wouldn't mind having that you know, uh, in their home to display. Uh, I certainly wouldn't mind if you're feeling having. Feeling
2: really it. generous, Scotty. If anybody's feeling really generous, get it for New Abolitionist Radio. I'm sure Scotty would love to have that there at the headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
2: just saying. i just saying. just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when we spoke about the issue with uh, what was going on with the Bronx. I believe it was with I walk uh, back when they yeah. started doing it initially. When they when it, first began and we went into the details then of what was going on and hearing and and then now getting a chance to possibly view Mumia once again setting the standard and saying look this is what we were dealing with then and this is what we're dealing with now and there is no difference except time is a perspective that I have been really struggling to impress upon many others within our movements you know we got different things we're doing but we have to all get on that same page. He's telling us this is slavery. There's no question anymore. Now we have to fight slavery. And that has been a difficult task in getting everybody on that same page. I, we've been doing different things for so long, it's hard not to go back to what we're used to. But the new idea is an old idea. And it's the best way to fight it from where everything I've seen mm-hmm. Uh, The results have been amazing, especially with RICO charges for slavery and human trafficking and all the things that go with that. Right, Scotty? Yes, I would
0: like to see more of these so-called legal organizations uh, wink at NC. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I'm about to say the NCAA. Uh, man, they, they just occupy my mind right now, you know, with their <laughs> tournament of slaves coming up and citing the 13th Amendment as justification mm-hmm. not to pay the student-athlete. But um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I agree, Max. I agree.
2: Yeah, we have got to get on the same page. And when we are in this painting and in his words, when he called in to the March on Washington, all continue to say the same thing, that uh, we're fighting this piece yes. and it's called slavery. It's not called mass incarceration. It's not called over criminalization. It's not called exploitation. It's not called debtors prisons. It's freaking slavery. Pure yeah. and simple.
0: Yeah, Thirteenth Amendment.
2: Set of clothes. That's all. So yeah, continue with your thing. I just want to say that I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, Mumia for his messaging and for uh, bringing light to these issues in the way only he can.
1: Right.
3: No, that's that's really beautiful and a really beautiful like encapsulation of what I is trying to do. I know what you all are trying to do and are doing right now on the abolitionist radio. And I just wanted to emphasize that, um, as Deanna said, we're having a welcome home, and one of the people that the Welcome Home Party is for is someone who was caught up in these gang raids, and we're just going to be seeing more and more people coming back from these. And one of the things um, I was talking about with one of the mothers of someone who's currently incarcerated on these raids the other day was that we're now seeing that people are – were arrested on these RICO charges, like, you know, for murder and major drug dealing, and then they're getting sentenced to, you know, two years' time served on marijuana distribution charges. So that really tells you what BS these RICO charges are when you see that, you know, 90% of the people pleading are pleading out to minor drug offenses that, I mean, let's be real, they're only pleading to them because... The lowest defense they can plead to. It's not even another them because they're actual charges. So I think as these go on, it's really important to shed light on that, so that people who will continue to get arrested on these charges, as we continue to fight the police as they're doing these raids, that they know, okay, there's the state doesn't have very much on us. They might try to intimidate mm-hmm. us, but really, when we act together and we rely on each other, we know um, that you know, we can't be flipped. I mean, that's how a lot of these charges also happen is, you know, people are um, really terrorized by the state, and unfortunately that causes some people to flip. And that's um, how a lot of the prosecutors are able to put pressure on people to take pleas in the first place. So it's really a community effort to stop these raids from happening.
0: Yeah. I think that's a very important point. I'm sorry, Scotty, go ahead. I'm sorry, Max. Uh, I think that's very important. Although it's hard for me to sit in judgment of an individual who might be facing 20, 30 years on some trumped up charges But as Max likes to point out, you know, more than I do, he he points out quite often the high rate of plea deals in this country and that, hey, if we only would stop taking these plea deals, we could clog the system up so much that, hell, it might be 10 years before you come to trial or whatnot. But then also, you know, and I understand the mistrust of that jury box considering you know how widespread racism and white supremacy is in the criminal justice system in the populace uh to and and these people so willing to convict people without any evidence whatsoever. So it's hard for me to sit in judgment of somebody for taking a plea deal because I'm not the one looking at doing all those years in prison slavery. But just, you know, on the wider conversation, we we have, it has to be some sort of change in the mindset that, you know, we're just not pleading out, you know? And it also, uh, you know, in addition to that, We have to do jury nullification education, in my opinion, as well. But please continue.
3: Yeah. No, I just want to say absolutely, and I think that in order for people to not feel pressured to take plea deals, it's also our responsibility as community members to provide them with the support for that.
4: And I think that that is one of the things that we intend to do with this Welcome Home, to make sure that, you know, that folks who have been released and have, been through this experience can speak on that, like after release, to folks in the same community because it really doesn't, you know, doesn't say it's a different way of telling folks in the community about what is really happening. You know, someone who has been through that experience holds different weight, and we we want to make sure that you know that you know that there's awareness about. You know, the the system, like you mentioned, doesn't have capacity to, it's convenient for them to make sure corner, to corner people into police. It doesn't really have the capacity to really take everyone to trial. So what does that collective effort look like? And I think it can be informed by those folks who come out, for sure.
2: I agree. There's so much to unpack with all of that. Uh, but first, I do want to say thank you for the welcome back party that you're putting on. It's so important just as an individual to know somebody gave a damn, you know, that you went through all of this. And that's that's beautiful. And to give them a chance to speak while expressing fresh in their mind about what they think and how they feel. Uh, hopefully you record it all and we'll have some access to it. Maybe you be able to play some of it here on New Abolitionist Radio when it occurs. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, great, great. Uh, I look forward to it. I was saying earlier that The Intercept Says that uh, their their headlines Was that New York gang sweeps Are where prosecutors are using conspiracy laws To score easy convictions And I guess we all agree on that statement But there's so much to unpack in the statement itself Why Would prosecutors want To get rid of these young black and Hispanic men That's something to unpack alone Secondly New York State Charges the most money To incarcerate Teenagers than any other state in the union as much as three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year so there's a profit mode that's involved in this here as well as we have reported here on new abolitionist radio that in New York in the Bronx as well they have these places that are called million dollar blocks and the million dollar blocks are named that because the incarcerations are so frequent the fines and the fees and the the uh warrants are so frequent in there that they generate a million dollars a year regardless of how uh decrepit the properties might be or how bad everything is the money is still flowing
0: yes yes i would also uh want to point out before we hit our last two subjects um uh, uh, with our special guest tonight from iwalk is that from the interviews that I have done concerning uh, Bronx 120 and the people I've, I've uh, you know read their commentary on it, it seems to be a consensus that these raids were retaliation. Uh-oh. Um, for the federal courts ruling, and of course, you know that was initiated by lawsuits by the people, but ruling that stopping frisk was unconstitutional. And so, what what do you ladies think about that? You think that that was retaliation for stopping frisk being declared unconstitutional? I guess
3: from I guess. For Maya, and, oh, go ahead, Deanna, sorry.
4: I mean, I think, you know, this, if we go back to prison slavery, like to slavery and its inception, like this system has been nonstop, you know, creating different, like, different um circumstances and different. Uh, ways of like transform and reform, you know, and that's really in itself like the definition of fascism, right? So it's like it's been able to transform and and make itself to to continue to to maintain order in the way that it's, it it uh, it deems necessary to to survive, right? So I think it it might have some of that, but also I think there's like other factors around like. The other um, um, other attacks that are happening in, in in our community, such as gentrification and and you know really uh, profiting off that the land that the these these families really um, um, call their homes. I think that's part of it as well. Um,
2: you know, that really hadn't stuck in my head till you said it, the gentrification part. When you destroy a community and the people in it on purpose, so you can get the land cheap and then sell it high. Right. Hmm. Okay. Um.
0: Now, we also have a couple of other topics, two more topics to cover with you ladies. And again, thank you for taking the time out to share this information with our audience. But uh, can you talk to us about the Inside newsletter? And then we'll also talk about Dr. Stewart, what's going on with him. Um, yes. Uh, so,
4: Kite is our newsletter um, that we, it's, uh, it really contains. Uh, content from our members at IWALK, friends, family, like really both from behind the enemy lines like inside and also those folks who are living outside in the open air prison and their experiences. So this um, newsletter, because it a is uh, inside-outside collaboration, frequency is a little bit, um, you know, it's more lengthy, but uh, along with what we've been talking about and the being able to make that connection about slavery being really like the root and now the manifest like that direct manifestation of what we're seeing today comes out of like the root and the pillars of like the inception of this country the 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 really the the the, the topic of that we're covering in this newsletter is really prison slavery, so it includes um um you know updates around like operation push that's happening um you know a timeline really around prison resistance and what that has entailed and, and zooming in into like the more recent um um manifestations of resistance inside prison that we've seen in the last um really 2 3 years um and and some of the content that we've been seeing here in New York State around, like, the, the Department of Corrections uh, continuous attacks on, um, on the prison population um, around the package policies, the Directive 4911A that seeks um, to, to privatize uh, and limit access to, to goods inside for folks on the inside. Um, and continue to make money out of out of folks, you know, like finding new ways to make money out of folks inside who are already being exploited and enslaved. And that that um, that package policy. We also have a powerful testimony from Julio Montekin, who's going to be sharing some of that, and we're going to be publishing that as part of the of the newsletter. And um, and, and from some folks from the women's prison in um, in Bedford, um, and it really includes, um, you know, also information that folks on the inside can, you know, keep keep updated to what is going on in other places. Because we know that some, you know, there's a lot of censorship in there, so this serves us not only as a way to um keep them updated but also as a way to keep to maintain communication and it also includes some you know legal section that that might help uh individuals do like that self advocacy because we're not a legal uh group we don't do legal uh, necessarily individualized legal so, like case loads or anything like that but we we do include information that I might support people doing their own individual legal advocacy, uh, or you know. Um, so we're hoping we're in the midst of working through that. We have called in submissions from the inside, and there's been you know a a, a good response from folks on the inside that have that are wanting to have their words shared throughout you know the the prison population but also like um, folks on the outside so um, we're hoping to have that also you know available at the Welcome Home and Fundraiser event
2: You said a couple things that uh, touched me, Uh, it always does when I even think of the scope of how it's done where you said that all of these industries on inside are vying to get a piece of that person, and they do. You know, from the commissaries mm-hmm. to the JPay credit cards to the bank accounts to the slippers they wear, the clothes they wear, you, you name it, okay. it's all there. And you know, you could be like a 16-year-old boy without enough money to buy a sandwich. You could be a homeless person on the street. They don't even have a house, let alone a bank account. They'll pick you up, put you in that cage, and you're suddenly worth 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 just for being there. And then while you're in there earning them this money from the taxpayer, they're robbing your whole family. They're like, you know, the fine is a thousand dollars. Well, who's gonna get it? Well, tell your mama to go out on the corner and get it. That's how they look at it. Like you're gonna get it one way or another. And we do. We rob, we steal, we borrow, we beg until we could pay the fines, pay the bills, get the bail money, and on and on and on. And it just rapes us of all wealth and all power. Yeah,
4: so well oil machine that is you know this is why going back to like what what is this about? Why do they wanna remove people? It is about maintaining this oppressive system. You know, and they, they get fucking creative. I'm oh, sorry. You're right. You're <laughs> they right. We really <laughs> um, they get really creative and we, we need to be in the up and up and, you know, we gotta do we gotta find our own means to maintain people informed and we need to not feel ba- battle and we know that they're finding ways to make money out of us in the inside and on the outside you know so we need to be you need to we need to be sharp and be able to to see it as it is and and communicate and you know there's ongoing there's always been ongoing organizing inside prison, there's not as visible as other organizing that happens on the outside. And really that's our, our role as I walk is to support that work that exists that often doesn't get supported because of that, you know, removal from people of community that disconnect sometimes, you know. We know that they send them to remote areas for a reason. Um, and it's just like a sub-world too. Like it has its own, you know, its own economy and its own like... Um, <laughs> Fuel, um, but it's not removed from 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 our communities because we all have people who are there, you know.
2: Yesterday was the, as we mentioned in the program, the anniversary of the Dred Scott decision. And at the time, in 1857, of the Dred Scott decision, slavery had been an integral part of every part of American society. Everything was involved in slavery, one way or another. Well, that's where we find ourselves right now, and that's why it makes it so hard to see, because we're like the six blind men and the elephant, and everybody's grabbing a part going, I know what this is, and you can't see the whole thing. The whole thing is integrated into every part of American society. That's why when you go to uh, places that exist in poverty, you'll find bail bondsmen who are making plenty of money. You'll find rent-to-owns that are making plenty of money, hair care places that are making plenty. You'll find all of these places, like liquor stores, that prey upon that misery just getting wealthy.
4: Right.
2: Well, see, this is the one day a week when we all get our hearts on our, our, our uh, on our sleeves. You know what I mean? Like It's just a passionate issue, and the clearer you see it, the, the more upset about it, you get. I
0: guess. Uh, hey, Max. If um, if, if somebody doesn't feel some kind of way or get upset about slavery, then I say something wrong with them. How can you not? Mm-hmm. How can you know that slavery exists and it's affecting millions upon millions of people and not be upset about it? I I don't understand that. You have to be an unfeeling person with no emotions whatsoever. You know, and and this issue has been with me uh, for six years, ever since I read the 13th Amendment. This is what I mainly focus on because to me, this is the number one issue of our time, just like it was the number one issue of Frederick Douglass' time and those who came before him and Gabriel Prosser. It's still the number one issue, especially concerning non-white folks in this society.
2: Well, everything we spoke about tonight in our conversation with Diana and Jocelyn, uh, we still have one more on Max we, we, well I'm just saying all, all the things we've talked about so far are available on new abolitionist radio uh, including the uh, gang sweeps where the prosecutors are using conspiracy laws uh, what the teenagers are going through the racketeering, uh, Mumia's new book as well as his uh, appeal to freedom so uh, the only thing I don't have up there is the website for the water painting I was looking for it and couldn't find it could you give me the address for that again?
3: Absolutely. It's thirty-two, three-two auctions, a-u-c-t-i-o-n-s. dot com slash here, h-e-r-e now and
0: Thank you, thank you for that. Thank um, you. If you would, um, we're going to hold off on our break, Max. And until after, you know, we have uh, finished our segment with, with the ladies from IWAC. Um, if you would, if you would talk to us about this brother uh, that's locked up, uh, th- this doctor that's locked up. Uh, I just had it in front of me, and I don't see his name, so if y'all would remind me. Sure. His name is Dr.
3: Alfato Stewart, and um, he is incarcerated currently at Clinton Correctional Facility, which I'm sure most of your listeners know is rather infamous, both for um, its extreme repression and also because two brothers were, um, at least momentarily, able to escape from that prison. Um, and as since then, um, it has become really one of the most Restrictive. I, I mean, it's even hard to say this because every prison is a prison-slave system that's extremely repressive in that way, but it, it, it's somehow more repressive than others. Um, but he actually was the victim. He's a, he's a very outspoken advocate. He's an advocate for himself and for others. He's done... Um, he's been a... Um, an inside prison lawyer, he's done political advocacy for himself and others, he's become extremely highly educated, and as we all know, that's very, very threatening for the system, to have someone inside who is very educated and aware of their rights and aware of the rights of others. So he's faced an extreme amount of harassment um, by corrections officers while inside, but has never lost hope, including last year in September of 2017, a corrections officer at the facility that he was incarcerated in at the time, Sullivan Correctional Facility, gave him pastry that had glass in it. And Dr. Stewart actually, we we with Dr. Stewart's words and his message, we were collaboratively able to raise money to have that um, pastry, and with the help of his attorney, have that pastry tested and confirm that there was, in fact, glass in the pastry that he was given by the corrections officer. Wow. So, we're, yeah. I mean, and when you hear things like that, we know about it, this one case, because we happen through, you know, random sending letters two and a half years ago, been able to make contact with Dr. Stewart, um, and because he's also an extremely outspoken, competent, and well-educated Man, despite the extreme repression and harassment that he's faced. Um, so, to me, I just, I just I mean, it just really makes me feel like if this is happening to him and we know about it, how many other people is this happening to on a regular basis and we don't know about it? And they might not have any recourse at all for this extreme form of torture um, that they're facing. So, right now we have, um, sorry for all the fundraising. We have another fundraiser up for him now because he's seeking to um, file paperwork necessary to hold the individual corrections officers who fed him this pastry filled, uh, this glass filled pastry accountable. So we're—it's a very modest amount. We're only asking for four hundred just enough to cover the legal fees. We were able to raise that before to cover the um, fees for the pastry, so we're really hoping that we'll be able to get this amount for Dr. Stewart um, as soon as possible so we can help him file the paperwork. Because as you said, when you're in prison, you're really a source of income for the state. You don't make any money. You're only being blood of your money.
0: Right, right, I have a question. um so y'all were able to prove that it was glass in this pastry. Was there any type of action taken against the guards? I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't were not any actions taken, but it seems you had concrete evidence what happened with that
3: so as far as we know, there is nothing happening to the individual corrections officers right now um he does have a ex- case against them that's pending. Um, so his current case you can find online, there's a link to it within the, there's a link to it within the fundraiser page, but basically the, he has a civil lawsuit um, against the officers as the COs as well as um, the guidance counselors and um, other sergeants and lieutenants within the prison at that time, but on its own, you know, the the correction system is just like the police department. They don't, on their own, take any action against people who have committed um, really unbelievable atrocities against people. So the, the short answer is nothing is happening right now to the COs as far as we know, and we're working right now to support Dr. Stewart in. Um, having some kind of action taken against those corrections officers and hopefully against the system more generally.
0: You know, when I hear about people on the inside who it will be very easy for them to just do their time, keep their head down, keep their mouth shut. But it really says something about an individual who goes on the inside And not only attempts to help themselves, but to help others and to to advocate against this evil, wicked system, because, you know, I'm looking at people on the outside who are not under, you know, those extreme oppressive uh, conditions. Of course, we are being oppressed uh, behind these enemy lines, but not to the extent that, you know, these brothers and sisters behind the bars or and and when I see people out here who just you know they have the knowledge but they don't want to act on it you know and I don't like to engage in name calling but you know I got to call them cowards when I hear about uh, uh, people like, like this doctor who could just very easily keep his head down keep his mouth shut not say nothing but he's doing the exact opposite and, and doing righteous work on the inside so thank you for sharing that story with him. Is there about him? Uh, is there anything that you ladies would like to share with us in closing? And give out uh, all the websites uh, addresses that um, you would like to give out for people to connect.
4: I think that's it for now. We'll keep you all updated on 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 the welcome back slash fundraiser event next month.
0: All right, all right. So, yeah,
3: and just in terms of of, of website, people if people do want to donate, we don't have a fundraising page just for iWalk Up right now, but we do have a PayPal and that's just our email address, IWOC dot nyc at rise up r I S E U P dot net. And if anyone feels moved to support the work, um they can donate directly through our PayPal, just send money through the PayPal. And um, the fundraiser for Dr. Stewart is quite a long link, so I won't share the whole link, but it's a you Caring fundraiser. And mm-hmm. if you go to you Caring and search for Al-Fatah, A-L-F-A-T-A-H, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, you'll find the fundraiser um, that we currently have for him and can donate there. And again, the auction is 32 auctions.com slash here now. And I would definitely support someone purchasing that <clears throat> painting for you all to have in your office. I think that would be a beautiful <laughs> contribution.
2: <laughs> yes, it would. I think so too. I think it would be awesome. You yeah. <laughs> I think somebody <laughs> should do that. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm, Guess I'm not really kidding either. If you got it like that. Go ahead and pick it up for us, so we can have that in our. Uh, we know someone there, out there
3: does, so we're we're waiting. We know a lot of people out there does. So
2: uh, I'm looking at the picture right now. It's a pretty awesome picture, and he's clear about yeah. what he's saying. Like this is yeah. then, yeah. and this is now. So yeah, we all need to get on that same page. That was then. This is now. The only thing difference is has been uh, it's advanced with technology, just like everything else.
0: Right. Right.
2: Right. Hmm. I want to say thank you guys for coming and sharing uh, this with us today and if there's anything that we could do to help you that we haven't done today just let us know and if you have any more news just contact Scotty and we'll be you can come right back on no problem at all
0: yeah or or tag you know tag helps us out that's our that's our representative in the NYC area shout out to tag Um, but thank you again (laughs) Diana and, and Jocelyn and you both stay safe behind these enemy lines
2: and don't forget us when you get the videos, man, because we do want to share that. Uh, uh, we here we on will. We
3: should day. be streaming it.
2: No doubt. Yeah. Maybe I don't know what time you'll be doing the party, but if it coincides with the new Abolitionist Radio Day, maybe we can do it live like we did once before so, with the, uh, the Millions Prisoners March, Scotty.
3: So, I
2: don't know. Something to consider. Yeah, something to mm-hmm. consider. Thanks. So yeah.
3: Thank you both so much for all the work you do doing for having us on.
2: No doubt. Thank Peace you. and uh, God bless. Uh, we're going to take our break now, I guess, Scotty? <clears throat> yes, sir. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we'll share what uh, stories we can and then get into our uh, regular scheduled segments of the evening. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back after this.
0: Live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork
2: dot com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Here with Scotty Reed and Max Panthers. So, Scotty, uh, what else did you want to cover today before uh, I start grabbing anything out of that huge list that we have?
0: Um, does your list include the story? Of the whistleblower uh, in Texas, who has come forth and is telling how those guards were abusing these juveniles, these children uh, in these correction facilities or detention facilities, whatever they call them down there. Uh, her name is—I'm pulling it up now because there's a, Mitchell.
2: Dominique Mitchell.
0: Dominique Mitchell. Thank you, thank you. Did you choose yes, that I as did. one of the stories? Because I think that. Yes. You know when we talk about um, you know people who could easily just keep their mouth shut. As she was told, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say nothing about it. Ain't nothing gonna happen to these officers. Why you making all this noise? Why you trying to trying to make trouble for the system? You know you're supposed to be loyal to the system. Literally, that's what they right. told. That's what they told her. But um, Max, if that's one of the stories, I can go ahead and uh, play that short video of her speaking on it.
2: Yeah, I was hoping to be able to hear or to share that video tonight because I know you did uh, uh, something on it earlier, but here you go.
0: Okay, I'm I'm pulling it up now. It is posted on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. It's in the uh, video section. Um, It is titled, for those that want to share it, please share it. It's Prison Whistleblower Dominique Mitchell Describes Systemic Abuse of Children in Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Here it is. Let me unmute it. I
5: hope this does help change. I'm so passionate about working with the kids, and I truly believe I'm doing the right thing. I worked at the Courage Youth Offender Program that housed kids aged 14 to 17 years of age. I worked for four years at the Courage Program as a program supervisor, and in my first year, there was incidents that were reported to me of kids being physically um, abused by officers, in which I reported as soon as I found out. I was often told that that's not what we do. You gotta be loyal to the COURAGE program. Um, Officers would not be held accountable for doing that. And I told them from 2013 that I would not stop reporting um, any type of um, abuse or anything. It had to be investigated. I asked for the officers to show me uh... the videos of the excessive use of force because kids, too many kids were coming with bruises on them there was incidents of abuse in a sense of neglect not providing food they weren't required to have three meals per day they weren't getting that on a monthly basis i was sending emails i need help i was concerned about my own safety because i was getting threatened by officers in there that were telling me to mind my business that this is security it's about security uh, if they they told me if the kids um, shouldn't have brought their um, self in there if they didn't want to be subjected to this. So there was uh, four years that I worked there. I reported abuse numerous times and never was it reported to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, even though I requested the assistant director, the former um, program director. I asked the wardens to address it, to investigate it. No one ever did. Again, the culture of TDCJ is... It's retaliation. You report something, more than likely you will be, lose your job, you'll be demoted. I was told oftentimes to keep my mouth quiet. This is security. It has nothing to do with you.
0: Disgusting, Max.
2: Disgusting. Absolutely, man. But, you know, I have to applaud her bravery. Yes. Uh, You know, she stood alone. It's like literally stood alone against this long-time, hardened, Uh, system that has been, you know, that's just the way things are for probably 150 freaking years. And people just come into it and get indoctrinated into it. And then they blame the children that they're holding in these facilities and they abuse them. In that interview, at one point, uh, it was talking about how the guards had said the kids should have never did nothing to be there to begin with. And I'm like, you know, we sit here every day talking about how these kids are being railroaded into these prisons. We just got off with guests right. who was talking about how they're using RICO charges to do it, and these guards actually believe that everybody that walks in their door is guilty, and they treat them. Oh, Max, like, they don't
0: believe that, that, Max. That that's that's, that's what the they tell you. That they use, that's Scotty. yeah, that's the excuse that they use. That's what they maybe tell themselves or or what have you, but. Hey, even if the child did do something, um, you know, that needs some correction, and I certainly don't think a prison is the place to do to offer that correction, but even if they did, even if they did, that's no excuse for you be a child abuser, you piece of scum.
2: She said she was there four years seeing this happening over and over and over again, and still to this day, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice has done nothing about it. See, what I was talking about, cowards.
0: Cowards, man, cowards. Okay, cowards. How many times? I bet you it's a bunch of men and women in there who see the same things that they see. And that's why I have to agree, man. Just like we say, there are no good slave catchers. There are no good prison overseers. Because if you're seeing this type of stuff and you're not standing up and speaking out, on behalf of these children who are being abused, then guess what? You're just as guilty as the person who's abusing them.
2: If the product is slavery and genocide, and all you do is make nuts and bolts in some hidden room somewhere, you're still participating in genocide and slavery, just making those nuts and bolts. So yeah, there, there's no aspect of this where your career can be described as something good for the society. If it was up to me, I would suggest that all people of color, because you would be the ones who would do it, and those who are willing to stand with them, to just step down from your job and say, I'll no longer do this. It's slavery and human trafficking, and my life and my soul is not worth this damn paycheck.
0: You know, Max, that reminds me. Last week, Mm -hmm. last week, didn't you report a story where the state of North Carolina was having trouble finding plantation overseers because nobody wants the job?
2: They were talking about bringing in the National Guard to now patrol prisons, which I mean, technically, those are the prisoners homes now because some of them are in there for life. So that's the only home they have. So now you're about to sequester these soldiers in their homes.
0: It's crazy, man, that all of this is going on, and we should have a mass movement, man. We should have had, just like all those women turned out, and I'm not hating on them or anything like that, you know, but all these people we've seen millions of people turn out in the streets for these women's march and, and what have you and some of them had the audacity to put a pink hat on Harriet Tubman's statue in Washington D.C. but when we but when we call for people to stand up against modern day slavery and human trafficking you know it's just the dedicated few that turn out
2: salute to Dominique Mitchell uh, keep your salute head.
0: definitely keep an your abolitionist down
2: and watch back uh, just publish a book. The more notoriety you have, the better. So, yeah, get, your, get the word out there. And if you want to come on air and you hear this somehow, just contact us. And maybe we'll reach out to you, you and come on and tell a story from here at New Abolitionist Radio.
0: Most certainly. But that's it's all, Max. Scotty. That's the only story that has really, you know, that I felt I wanted to share uh, most tonight.
2: Well, there was a, a, you know, as usual, Scotty, there's more than we could ever tell. Uh, in our limited amount of time. But I do keep all the stories in order to document the times as they go along. Like Nina Simone said, you know, it's an artist's responsibility to document their times. So well, I, I'm doing that. Well, Max, before you go, stories-
0: I'm sorry, before yes. you go into the next article, sorry to interrupt you. We, it does appear we have a caller from the 816 area code uh thank you for calling in to new abolitionist radio you're on with with scotty and max uh what's your name and what's your question or comment
6: all right this is jeff humfeld i'm um with jaws of justice radio in kansas city um i we have a, a situation here that i think really um needs to people need to understand that this kind of thing happens um and what it is we had a, a young man that was at a gas station with his sister and a friend and um, while he was pumping gas his sister and a friend went into the store and um, there was a guy in there that started giving him a bunch of guff and, and started um, threatening him, them and stuff and when they came back out he followed them out. This young man that was pumping the gas um, you know kind of defended his sister verbally and told this guy to go away and leave him alone and this guy threatened him um... he went to the store to try and get them to call the police and they locked the doors on him and he's at the doors and this, this guy that uh, was hassling everybody came up behind him and attacked him he pulled his legal gun that he had registered was li- licensed to carry shot the guy and killed him Um. Missouri is a a, um, stand-your-ground state. This young man is being charged with second-degree murder. Um, You know, it's just unbelievable. And, of course, the young man that that had the gun is black. The guy that that, um, was giving him the trouble was white. And... This guy that, that was giving him all the trouble and was shot and killed has a, a long record. The young man that, that um, had the gun and was protecting himself um, has no record whatsoever.
0: Let, let me ask you this. The NRA is taking up his case, isn't it? Um, No. <laughs> of course, I was, you know, being uh, the facetious.
6: Only, do you want to know who's taking up his case? Who's that? The Kansas City Freedom Project, uh, Latara Smith. She has been all over um, the prosecutor uh, and, and naming her right out on, in social media, and encouraging people to contact her directly and her boss, the the um, prosecutor here in Jackson County, um, and saying why are you why are you charging this man? Um, this is a, a clear case of self-defense. He was attacked. And defended himself. Um, he'd been threatened by this guy. Uh, that's who's who's doing this. You know, a small um, organization that has no no funds or anything else, just a voice.
0: Do you know the Radica? young man's name?
6: Um, her name is Latara Smith. All right, and she's uh, um, head of the KC Freedom Project. But the young man that's um, being charged is Cameron Gines, G-I-N-E-S. You can find information on him and all on the KC Freedom Project um, Facebook
2: page. I believe I saw the video that was released of the incident uh, that you're referring to. And from what I saw, if I'm correct, it's the same case, he was absolutely uh, justified in defending himself With lethal force, particularly in this climate right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was a woman (laughs) that started it all and pushed it to the edge, wasn't it? Mm. The sister? Well,
6: I I don't know what happened in the store. I have not heard much about that. Um, You know, this guy started giving her trouble when she was in the store. This was Mr. Gine's sister. Uh-huh. And when she came back out of the store, he followed her and, and the man that was with her, and her brother, you know, okay. um, spoke up for thinking, her.
2: I'm probably thinking I of think a different story or mixing stories up because it was another one. Yeah, that I, this
6: may be. It, this probably yeah. is a different story. I have not seen any any video of of what happened, um, okay. so I don't know whether anybody took any video. Or not of this particular incident. But I
0: uh, do um Okay,
2: the no, one I'm the talking can. about was similar, but it was a white woman and her boyfriend who were shouting racist epitaphs at a young black man and then he ended up No
0: oh, no. No, I found the story. No,
2: this
0: was I found the story. Good, good. Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. Kansas City man has this was published on the twenty first of February. A Kansas City man has been charged in a fatal shooting at a gas station Monday. Cameron uh and you spell it with a K. Cameron L. Jines, G-I-N-E-S, 23, is only 23 years old, is charged with second degree murder and armed criminal action. Officers were called to 27th in Indiana at around 3 PM Monday. They found a man on the ground in the parking lot. He was transported to a nearby hospital where he was declared dead. Police later identified the the and I hesitate to call him a victim, um, but the terrorists uh, as Brent Copeland, 37 years old, witnesses said the victim was involved. Again, they're talking about Brent Copeland. The person who was shot was involved in an argument with someone in the parking lot. The other person shot the victim and left the scene in a vehicle. Again, this is what their reporting doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it went down. Uh, it says officials did not provide a description of the suspect or the video or, or the vehicle a release from kcpd also notes that this same person that was shot was in a separate altercation with a male in the same parking lot and left before police arrived on the scene officials released a. am uh, not even going to read the rest but uh definitely this is a, a story um that we need to look more into reach out to the parties involved in supporting uh supporting him and, uh, you know, do what we can on our end to publicize uh, his story. You know, Miss Candace Owens, I made a video about her last night um, where she's a uh, just recently joined the NRA. Uh, you know, they billing her as a former reformed Democrat who's now a Republican. And she told a bald face lie on Fox and Friends talking about. Um, that the NRA was founded as a civil rights organization that armed and trained black folks to protect themselves against the Klan. I mean, how could you even let something so ridiculous uh, come out your mouth? But I'm going to send her his story. You know, I'm going to hit up Colin Knorr, who is another black person who is an NRA spokesperson who has millions of followers on his YouTube channel, Um, But, you know, those just a couple of people that I will hit off with this story. But, of course, you know, we're going to produce our own, um, you know, media to get the word out. But I appreciate you calling in. Did you have any thoughts on any other thoughts on this? Um, Well, quickly, let me share this. Well, one of the you said this happened in Missouri, right? So here we go again. This goes back to what we were talking about, about the uh, uh, the. Anniversary. I don't know if that's the proper word to say, but uh, the Dred Scott decision, even though that was overturned yep. by the Fourteenth Amendment, and 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 enslaved Africans were given citizenship by the Fourteenth Amendment after the Civil War, but prior to the Civil War in the eighteen, what was it, eighteen fifty-seven? I believe you said, Max, uh, when the Dred Scott decision yes. came down. And and here we have, you know, th- it's playing out right here. It's playing right out in Missouri. This is a black man, Cameron A.L. Gaines, although he lawfully had had a weapon, a licensed firearm, a license to carry. And you were in a stand your ground state. But hey the uh what what did what did the uh, judge say in that Dred Scott decision that there are no rights a white man i mean a black man has that a white man is 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 bound to respect, so they're applying the Dred Scott treatment to uh Mr Gines there in Missouri
6: yep they are, and uh the one thing I will say you mentioned in the article that that uh, Mr Gines left the the scene and he did but he went to the office of a, a um local agency, a, a local um neighborhood group, and um you know they they talked with him and he turned himself in to the police with no problem um at this office. In other words they called the police and said, you know, hey he here's the guy. Come and get him, he's he's willing to, to surrender himself. But you know, once again this this prosecutor and this goes to something that, that really really bothers me when she walked into court with the the evidence that she had to make these charges why would the judge not look at the, these charges look at the evidence and say you don't have the evidence to make these charges um, go get more evidence I'm throwing this out to me, that's, prosecut- or that's judicial misconduct, and we see a heck of a lot of that as well, um, where judges don't exert their th- authority to say, you don't have the proper evidence to support the charges that you're charging. Right. And that's, that's critical for this, this whole thing of, of plea bargaining and pushing people into taking plea bargains. Right. Because the judges go along with
0: it. Second degree, he's charged with second degree murder. Uh, Here's the general definition. Um, Let me see. What does second degree, that means that an intentional killing that is not premeditated or planned nor committed in a reasonable heat of passion, a killing caused by dangerous conduct in offenders, obvious lack of concern for human life. I would say based off of even what's shared in this article that I agree with you that the, the 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 charges hold no weight whatsoever. This this was clearly self-defense.
6: It is it is. And we'll be working, you know, to to help this guy the best we can. And and really uh, put the information out on on this prosecutor uh, that that she She's doing the wrong thing And put the pressure on her
2: That's all we can do nowadays As you said, there's groups with no money Trying to make things happen And that's all of us basically uh, And the reasoning being is that When it comes to those who are wealthy And do have uh, finances of a sort To be able to be uh, to, to give money to people like yourselves Who are trying to fight these things Aren't affected by it So unless they're into philanthropy They're not really interested It's hard to get any money for this But you can get grants for some music though You want to do some music, you can get a grant for that There you go (laughs) It's amazing I don't even want to say thoughts and prayers Because you know that stuff don't hold no weight nowadays But let's just say that uh, We are hoping that his story changes For the better And we'll do what we can to help you Yeah, It's
0: okay to say, you know, send your thoughts and prayers But put some action behind it Faith without works is dead
2: Oh, yeah, if that's the case, we're talking after the fact. Then <laughs> the, the works has already well, been put in. They can
6: yeah. always, they can always uh, look up and write to the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office and tell them that they're doing it wrong. Yes, yes.
0: And you say this uh, information yeah. is on the KC Freedom Project because I don't I don't, yeah, don't their want,
6: Facebook page.
0: Yeah, I don't want to share. I don't want to share any of these articles because they're not giving the details that you gave us.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Scotty, we got about thirty minutes left. Do we take a break and go on to the uh, yes last story and final segments? Yes. All right. Then that's what we're going to do. Jeff, thank you for sharing information, and uh, we'll continue on right. with this story. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here, where we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the Thirteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and we'll keep talking about it right after this. welcome back to new abolitionist radio time is short so i'm going to squeeze in some titles for you guys to check out and be aware of and max uh, I, I would love I'm, to talk about a few of these hey max what?
0: um i am I, yes. I found the facebook page uh, kc freedom project and i'm sharing uh one of their posts about mr johns i'm sharing that to new abolitionist radio's facebook page and we'll also post it in btr community
2: thank you scotty indeed uh well as i said we got, uh, we're got we limited on time, so I'm going to go through some headlines that you should be aware of. I wish I had the time to talk about a few of these, but I, I don't. So let's just go with it. First of all, in Florida, there was a teacher that they outed as having a white nationalist podcast. So yes, there was a teacher in Florida uh, who had a white nationalist podcast. Apparently, uh, the school says that they have announced a remo- the removal of her, uh, but that is the end of that. Also in South Carolina, Carolina, the accused teen who wanted to outdo other school shootings uh, is, uh, I guess there's an article on him talking about the problem with what he was trying to accomplish was he didn't have the right weaponry. (laughs) Then further, Dylan Roof is sentenced to death for the slaying of the Charleston Nine, including a state senator. So uh, those are some of the things. And and finally, uh, I guess the last one is, There's a report that just came out that shows that no progress, no progress for African-Americans on home ownership, unemployment, and incarceration has happened in the last 50 years. So since the March on Washington, we haven't seen no changes. And then the last one, before I get into this one story I want to cover, is there's a video that's available from Vice, where a young man... Interviews an elderly gentleman in Mississippi who did not know that slavery had ended until the 1960s. He and his whole family were enslaved on a plantation in Mississippi all the way up into the 1960s.
0: Now, that was uh, illegal in, slavery. That's the distinction. That That's why, again, Max, I had to point out the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights says all forms of slavery You know, it calls for all forms of slavery to be abolished. So that was no doubtly slavery. It was, but it's already been outlawed in um, by deception. Right, right.
2: They had deceived these people. Oh, and uh, there's a Tennessee school that has removed the Confederate flag and murals on the walls that depicted lynchings. (laughs) The question isn't, you know, is it a good thing that they did? Wow. why in the hell did they ever have it up there in the first place? Well, are the things that are happening to our kids.
0: Well, how are you going to keep racism, white supremacy, and terrorism going if you don't train the kids up in the way that they should go, Max?
2: And that's what some of these stories I just noted today all show, that it is uh, institutional racism that is as prevalent in our school systems as it is in our justice systems. All right, well, the the only story that I'm probably going to be able to cover tonight is something that, I, at first, I didn't even think was, you know, something that I wanted to cover. But it became very popular throughout the Facebook community on uh, New Abolitionist Radio, a couple hundred shares on it. And I guess it's, it is very interesting, and there's some backstories to it as well. And uh, that would be, Corporations are people is built on an incredible 19th century lie. This is pretty long, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read enough so you understand how it is it came to be the uh, Citizens United decision that made corporations people. And since we've been talking about the 14th Amendment, this is perfect. Somewhat intuitively, American corporations today enjoy many of the same rights as American citizens. Both, for instance, are entitled to the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion. How exactly did corporations come to be understood as people bestowed with the most fundamental constitutional rights the answer can be found in a bizarre even farcical series of lawsuits over 130 years ago involving a lawyer who lied to the supreme court and unethically challenged justice and one of the most powerful corporations of the day the corporation was the southern pacific railroad company you know those guys that used convict leasing and kept slavery going They were owned by the robber baron Leland Stanford. In 1881, after California lawmakers imposed a special tax on railroad property, Southern Pacific pushed back, making the bold argument that the law was an act of unconstitutional discrimination against the 14th Amendment. (laughs) Adopted after the Civil War to protect the rights of freed slaves, that amendment guaranteed to every person in the equal protection of the laws Stanford's Railroad argued that it was a person too, reasoning that just as the Constitution prohibited discrimination on the basis of racial identity so did it bar discrimination against Southern Pacific on the basis of its corporate identity the head lawyer representing Southern Pacific was a man named Roscoe Conkling a leader of the Republican Party for more than a decade Conkling had even been nominated to the Supreme Court twice he begged off both times the second time after the Senate had confirmed him, he remains the last person to turn down the Supreme Court seat after winning confirmation. More than most lawyers, Conklin was seen as by the justices as a peer. It was a trust Conklin would betray as he spoke before the court on Southern Pacific's behalf. Conklin recounted an astonishing tale in the 1860s when he was a young congressman. Conklin had served on the drafting committee that was responsible for writing the 14th amendment. Then the last member of the committee still living Conklin told the justices that the drafters had changed the wording of the amendment, replacing citizens with persons in order to cover corporations too. Laws referred to persons. He said have by long and constant acceptance been held to embrace Artificial persons as well as natural persons, Conkling buttressed his account with a surprising piece of evidence, a musty old journal that he claimed was a previously unpublished record of the deliberations of the drafting committee during the 14th Amendment. Years later, historians would discover that Conkling's journal was real, but his story was a fraud. The journal was, in fact, a record of the Constitution congressional committee's deliberations, but upon close examination, it offered no evidence that the drafters intended to protect corporations. It showed, in fact, that the language of the Equal Protection Clause was never changed from citizen to person. So far as anyone can tell, the rights of corporations were not raised in the public debates over the ratification of the 14th Amendment, or in any way the state's ratifying conventions, and prior to Conklin's appearance on behalf of Southern Pacific, no member of the drafting committee had ever suggested that corporations were covered. There's reason to suspect Conklin's deception was uncovered back in his time, too. The justices held on to the case for three years without ever issuing a decision until Southern Pacific unexpectedly settled the case. Then, shortly after, another case from Southern Pacific reached the Supreme Court raising the exact same legal question, the company had the same team of lawyers, with the exception of Conkling. Tellingly, Southern Pacific's lawyers omitted any mention of Conkling's drafting history or his journal. Had those lawyers believed Conkling, it would have been malpractice to leave out his story. You can read the rest of that on New Abolitionist Radio, but basically it shows that corporations went and stole the rights that were meant for African Americans took it upon themselves and then overruled the rights of those very same people who were supposed to be protected. What
0: a great country we live in, Max.
2: So a pretty amazing story of how this one man got up there and lied, Roscoe Conklin, to the Supreme Court about what he saw and did. And it changed everything after that. That's why corporations are the way they are right now.
0: Yeah, and You know Mitt Romney's Famous phrase uh, Corporations are people too So maybe he's been doing some studying
2: Speaking of those uh, Evil beings called Corporations I want to remind everybody uh, about something that I feel is as important as the NCAA Circumstance and that is the UCLU UC, ACLU sorry, uh, Story that has come out uh, The report about the criminalization Of private debt and how private corporations are working directly with the Department of Justice and judges and prosecutors in order to issue warrants for uh, debts and fees from private companies. I think that is just like, that's a constitutional crisis all by itself. And uh, people should be up in arms about that. I mean, you may not care now, but let them show up for that library book you never gave back 20 years ago, and find out that you owe 16 or 18 thousand dollars. And don't think it won't happen because we reported that very same story right here from New Abolitionist Radio. They will do it. Here's one that uh, most people of color can understand. Wait till they start arresting you for not paying hospital bills.
0: <laughs> well, wow, well, man. I thought Obamacare was supposed to have solved all those problems, but uh, I guess not. But uh, Max, we, we are running out of time, bro. We got what, three segments?
2: Yes. Uh, well, they're pretty relatively short segments, so if you want to uh, pick one that you can start with tonight, we have our abolitionist in profile, which is Harry Tubman. Uh, we have our Rider <laughs> of the 21st Century Underground Railroad and also our uh, segment for Freedom's Sake, a history of rebellion. And uh, I provided some text for the latter of those.
0: Okay. You say it's Harriet Tubman. I thought I had saw something else. Another person. Oh, okay. Here it is. It, it was her. Um, let's go ahead yes, and Harriet cue Tubman. up this video biography if it's not too long.
2: Hey, it's uh four minutes.
0: Okay. Let me go ahead and cue that up. And uh we'll go ahead and give it a quick listen for our abolitionists in profile. Um, it says Aramenta Minty Ross, uh, better known as one the as the one and only Harriet Tubman, born 1820, Dorchester County, Maryland, and joined the ancestors on March the 10th, 1913, in Auburn, New York. So let's give a listen uh to our quick bio.
8: Mm-hmm. The Underground Railroad was a secret network of routes and safe houses that helped people escape slavery to settle in Canada as well as in some free northern states. Some believe that secret messages in the form of quilt patterns helped enslaved African men and women escape the bonds of captivity in the southern states. Likewise, it is believed that singing gospel songs was a means to communicate among slaves who traveled the Underground Railroad. The lyrics provided verbal, coded communication that uncovered hidden messages and warnings in the about their travels. Water,
9: in the, water, children,
8: the bold, selfless acts of one determined individual contributed to the freedom of many, Harriet Tubman. The Black Moses, as she was often called, is well known for leading many enslaved people to freedom in Canada by following the North Star, she made countless journeys and never once lost a passenger. Tubman, a runaway slave from Maryland, was determined to abolish the misery and suffering of her people.
9: Before achieving fame as a conductor on the Underground Railroad, Tubman was an enslaved African woman. She felt like she almost was actually free as she toiled with little supervision while felling trees and cutting up lumber in Maryland. Once, while in the fields, she saw someone trying to escape and got involved. She was injured and in turn became more steadfast in her wish to be free. Tubman was the youngest of her family and worked with them in the fields. When she married and discovered her husband was not willing to head north with her, she set out alone.
8: She then ventured to Philadelphia, where she associated with abolitionists and learned about the connections of the Underground Railroad. When the far-reaching United States Fugitive Law was passed in 1850, Harriet Tubman guided fugitive enslaved African men and women into Canada. Angry slave owners posted rewards for her capture, but she continued her work despite great personal risk. Tough and courageous, in spite of her petite frame, she always carried a weapon intimidating those who supported slavery and discouraging enslaved people from backing out of the strenuous journey. She threatened anyone who considered turning back, knowing the danger of those involved revealing the routes and safe house locations.
9: As the conductor, Tubman had the problem of keeping people motivated and together as they traveled by night and hid by day. Because Tubman was so successful at organizing these group escapes, slave owners offered high rewards for her capture. She is thought to have led as many as 19 rescue missions. While the possibility of torture or death or being resold into the Deep South always existed, It was the loss of family members that Tubman feared most. She made a point of rescuing all of her family, settling them in both Ontario and later New York State. She gave her life to making people free.
8: St. Catharines, Ontario was one of the towns in which Harriet passed through on her journeys. The town offered employment opportunities to the escaped enslaved people. Many of the former fugitives settled there, including her own parents, brothers, sisters, and their families. Harriet Tubman lived in St. Catharines from 1851 to 1857. Harriet's role in the Underground Railroad Movement was one of the many inspiring accomplishments of her life. She was an activist in the abolitionist movement, worked as a nurse in the Civil War, and served as a spy for the Union forces in South Carolina.
9: The need for the Underground Railroad ended after the American Civil War. Tubman had been actively involved with the Northern forces as a nurse, spy, and cook. She supported suffrage and founded a home for the homeless before she passed away in 1913 at the age of 93. God's gonna trouble the world.
0: All right, and New Abolitionist
2: Radio. We salute you, Harriet Tubman.
0: Most certainly, most certainly, man. I tell you, a very inspiring woman. One of the things they left out. And uh, that was actually produced by Canada. um, I guess one of their immigration divisions where they're highlighting, you know, history in Canada which you know they said there she settled her own parents there in that little town in Canada so I want to thank them for sharing all that information but you know what was left out was that she actually uh, led a battalion of Union troops um, to raid a plantation where I believe it was something like 700 individuals freed but um, she was more than a, a Union spy she was a literally she was a soldier In more ways than one
2: Max Well I could talk all day about Harriet Tubman It's not the first time we've had her as an abolitionist in profile and I am a fan Of Harriet Tubman and I understand A lot of things about her Uh, Like the thing that vexed Her the most was the idea That she couldn't even convince people who were In chains that they were slaves She's like I could have freed a thousand more If I could have just convinced them that they were Still slaves And then secondly, and I'll finish with that, is one of the most shameful days that I'll ever see in the United States of America is the day they issue a $20 bill with Harriet Tubman's face on it. I just can't imagine any more of a disgrace and a disrespect to her and what she was about than doing that.
0: Right, right. I agree.
2: All right. well, our next segment is for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion. And tonight, we want to remember uh, Younger Veracruz, you'll see a statue of a tall, imposing African with a machete in hand. He's known throughout Mexico as the first liberator of the Americas, but the locals call him El Yango. His real name is Gaspar Yanga, and he was the leader of one of the greatest slave rebellions in North America. Legend has it that Yanga was born in 1545, and he was actually West African royalty before he was captured and brought to Mexico. In Mexico, he was put to work in the blistering heat of a Veracruz plantation, but he wasn't content to spend his days hacking sugarcane. Instead, he rallied his fellow slaves and led them on a great escape into the mountains near Cordoba. There, Yanga and his band of black and Indian runaways formed a community, community dedicated to keeping slaves in the Spanish and the Spanish out. They plundered caravans, traveling to Mexico City, taking goods and weapons and when they got lonely, they raided nearby towns, capturing local women. Yanga and his band of cimarrones lived in the mountains for 40 years before the Spanish got sick of him. In 1609, they sent 550 troops, all heavily armed, into the mountains to capture those pesky slaves. But Yanga and his men were waiting for them, armed mostly with rocks, machetes, and bows. First Yanga tried to be diplomatic and make a deal, but when the Spanish burned his village to the ground, The runaways took to the jungle. The Spanish made the mistake of following them into the forest and were assaulted left and right by stones and arrows. Eventually the Spanish retired of the guerrilla warfare and agreed to negotiate. In exchange for their loyalty and an annual tribute, Yanga and his community were granted freedom and the rights to form their own settlement. In 1618 the rebels formed the town of San Lorenzo de los Negros and today it is known simply as Younger, and we here at New Abolitionist Radio remember you and your rebellion. Younger, salute!
0: All right, we got what one more segment as we do got yes, um, another program coming up. So, uh, we yes, have sir, a...
2: one more segment. Okay, uh, would you like to do it? Or do you want me to run through it real
0: quick? If you run through it real quick because I'm having trouble finding it.
2: Okay, uh, this one is comes from the Innocence Project. Shout out to Johanna and Elia, who was involved in the Innocence Project fundraiser where he's running, uh, I guess it's in a marathon to help raise funds for it. So, today, a Connecticut man exonerated after serving 16 years for a 1991 murder he didn't commit. Bite mark analysis who proved critical testimony now acknowledge his testimony was not based on science. It marks the 30th wrongful conviction for indictment Based on flawed bite mark analysis Hartford, Connecticut March 1st, 2018 With the consent of Hartford State Attorney General uh, uh, Attorney Gail Hardy A Connecticut judge dismissed The 1991 murder Indictment against Alfred Swinton today Based on new DNA And other evidence proving his innocence DNA testing excluded Swinton as the source of male DNA collected from underneath the victim's fingernails The rape kit and swabs taken from a bite mark on the victim. Additionally, the bite mark analysis uh, analyst, Dr. Gus Karazoulas, now acknowledges that his testimony connecting Swinton to the crime was not based on science. Swinton is the 30th person to have been wrongfully convicted or indicted based at least in part on bite mark analysis. Yet courts continue to allow prosecutors to rely on the widely discredited discredited evidence swinton's 2001 conviction was vacated back in june t- 2017 wrongfully served 16 years we are grateful to state attorney hardy for recognizing the powerful evidence of mr swinton's innocence and moving to right the injustice caused to him said maura barry Grinalds of scalden arps which assisted on the case and we here at new abolitionist radio would like to say welcome to freedom brother swinton
0: welcome to freedom
2: Indeed, man. Whew. These segments wow. They just drive it home every week about why we're here because of those things. Well, Scotty, we're at the end of our program, and as you said, you got another program coming up behind us. Uh, so any final comments for the evening?
0: Um, I just wanna thank our um guest Jocelyn and Diana of IWAC and uh, just very appreciative of the work that they do I mean they really do put in um, some good work and not under a nonprofit or anything like that they they're truly a grassroots movement um, and I just really appreciate what they're doing and taking the time out to share the information with us tonight uh, slavery is not going to end itself it's going to take boots on the ground so, Put your boots on And let's hit the ground
2: Word uh, Yes Like you Scotty Thank you to our guest And our caller I want to uh, give a shout out To Sister uh, Hannah X That you can call Anytime uh, And we'll talk about The Ohio case That you want to uh, Speak on So if you're listening Just call up next week and, and we'll go over it Here's my final comments For the evening It's a quote From Genesis 2740 And by the sword Thou shalt live and thou shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. That's plan A. Remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. See you next week. Peace. Peace.
0: peace
1: rise up, rise up, rise up. Lift your eyes up. if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the sea spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all